Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Hi, everybody. It's good to see you. It's actually good to see my early church history class this morning because normally I get you in the afternoon when you've already had morning classes, lunch, spiritual formation, and I thought I had a class full of 85-year-olds. But it's actually great to see your fresh faces and gleaming eyes. So good to see you. So today I'm talking about drawing near to God. And this is one of the keys in the Christian life. As Augustine said, our whole life really is about learning to draw near to God and to have our rest in Him. When we draw near to God and have our rest in Him, then we begin to reorder our desires and our senses, and then we begin to flourish as human beings. So today I'm going to talk about attachment with God, friendship with Jesus rather than friendship with the world, and what it looks like practically to draw near to God and to be a friend with Jesus rather than a friend of the world. If we manage to draw near to God and be friends with Jesus and are empowered and guided by his spirit, then we won't fall into the traps that James is talking about. The traps of jealousy, of wanting what others have but you don't, of giving into temptation, they're all symptoms of a deeper problem which is not having a strong attachment to God. But we could talk about drawing near to God as a list of things that you need to do. And it is true that Christians have strong agency. We're responsible for our own Christian lives in this moral universe. But we need to understand our drawing near to God within a larger framework, which is attachment with him and the stability that that gives us so that we can draw near to him. Okay, so let's begin by talking about babies. In a moment, I'm going to have a slide that talks about, uh, shows us the healthy attachment style with babies. And the point I want to make is with that slide is that Human beings are made for connection, for attachment, for union with other personal beings. In the same way that we're made for attachment with our parents, we're made for attachment with God, who is a personal being. So with children, when a baby has a need, they will cry. So let's say a child is crawling on carpet and then suddenly they find this ledge here or they find some gravel. They're going to cry out. They're going to look to a caregiver, an older, trustworthy, wise person who cares for them and hopefully that caregiver will respond to their need and then the baby will develop trust and an attachment to that caregiver. I feel safe when that person is watching me and observing me explore the world. And here's the important thing. If you have a strong sense of attachment with a caregiver figure, you will then explore the world in a healthy way. A baby who feels comfortable, a toddler, a child, a teenager, who feels comfortable and safe because someone is safely observing them is more likely to explore the world than a child who is afraid and anxious because they just don't know what's going to happen if they explore the world. So healthy children, children that flourish, tend to have an older, trustworthy figure who is observing them and ready to help. Human beings were made in the garden with God as that trustworthy figure to be with us 
and to be the context of safety, the one who guides us as we name the animals, till the earth, have babies of our own, and develop human cultures. So human beings are made for attachment with God. When we speak about faith and the good news being reunion with God, we're just talking about something very natural. We're all made for attachment with God and to live safely under his loving gaze. And only then will we flourish and explore the world in a healthy way. Only then will we avoid the traps that James talks about, which is exploring the world but wanting someone else's stuff. Our problem is, and the next slide is a cartoony take on it, of course, is that in the Garden of Eden, we weren't happy to explore the world God's way and to grow as a species God's way. Instead of having God as the figure whom was the one that we would trust, we decided to explore the world with someone else's guidance, the serpent's guidance. We didn't trust that God was a good caregiver. It, it, the serpent's like, did he really say you shouldn't eat the tree? Well, actually, it's because he's not good. He doesn't want you to become powerful. So we doubted our caregiver. We doubted that God could judge us. And we doubted that there would be problems if we decided to flourish our own way. So it's been a disaster ever since. It's been survival mode. It's been competing for resources. That's what our passage in James is about today. You want what you don't have, therefore you kill and destroy one another. You give in to the devil. We need God as our trustworthy caregiver if we're going to flourish well. And it's not just Christians that recognise that there's a problem when we don't have a secure attachment to God. Netflix is kind of leading the way, and so is Hollywood, when they recognise the problem of trying to live in a scramble for survival without God or someone to give us direction and support. If we can have the next slide. This is from an image uh, promoting my favourite zombie series at the moment. I'm not suggesting that you watch it. Um, it's called Black Summer. Season two is coming out soon. Um, <laughs> not suggesting you watch it. It's a great series, and what distinguishes it from most series is that it's a mother's search for her daughter. They get sort of separated from one another in the big zombie apocalypse, and the mum is searching for her daughter to provide safety, to provide stability and security, and then the question of, well, how do we live in the post-apocalyptic world? Once People have fallen into the scramble for survival. And you know in zombie series, the real problem isn't the zombies. It's other survivors. That's a problem we have right now. We live in a post-apocalyptic, post-fall world. And a lot of the problems we have as human beings is that, most, that we're all survivors of the fall, scrambling to find resources and to survive. We've become horror makers, just like in the zombie series. We've all had a dreadful impact on other people around us. That's prevented them flourishing as moral, creative, relational beings. All of us, whether we like it or not, in small ways and big ways, have prevented the flourishing of other human beings. And that's a horror. It really is. 
So what to do? Well, the good news is that God, who's described as a mother and as a father in the Bible, like this mum, comes down to us. The second person of the Trinity takes on a human nature and he shows us what God is like and he offers us a living union, a living attachment to God. He gives us back the possibility of resting in God and having a stability as a person in this world. Jesus comes and he offers us to be united with him, with his living force. He is the vine, we are the branches. He will come to live in us through the Holy Spirit and to be with us. And what you notice is that it's a complex of ideas. He comes to dwell within, but also he comes as your friend. And also as your friend, he comes as a good friend to have a good impact on you. We all know from experience that good friends are those that have a good impact on you. And Jesus' impact is he's going to help you love other people, which is remarkable and amazing. It's human flourishing. It's what you were made to be as an image of God. Someone who loves in the context of your creativity, your moral aspect and your relationships. That's what it is to be an image of God, to reflect God's qualities of loving holiness. So the good news is a whole package. It's reattachment to God, friendship with Jesus and loving other people. But you might say to me, well, okay, great, but what, what does this stability entail? Jesus promises union with him. He promises an attachment with himself. He promises to guide you so you can love others. But I know I'm kind of shaky, a bit of a horror maker. Um, how's this going to happen? We could have the next slide. Just as these two parents are wonderfully gazing on the child, what John's Gospel tells us is that when God looks upon those who have faith in Jesus, he looks on them as his children. So what makes this relationship, what gives us the stability of union, is the unbreakable gaze of God. When God looks on you, he sees you really in his mind as a child of his. He declares you to be his child. And that's the foundation for your union with God. That's why you can lean into this relationship, knowing that even though it goes up and down, you can still draw close to God because you're always a child of God. God's gaze transforms you from being a human being made in his image to being a child of God. And he gazes on you in love. And he gazes on you in love and then comes as love. God's own love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So his view on you and his love for you isn't just ideal. It's organic. It's his presence and it binds you to himself. He himself is the superglue that keeps you united to him, always attached to him. And that's the foundation. That's the secure relationship. 
of a loving parent that gazes over the child, into which then you can lean and draw near to him. Because you're drawing near to him within an unbreakable relationship. If we could have the next slide, that would be great. So how do you draw near to God? Here's some tips. The first one, clearly, is to confirm our stability with God by praying the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives us a prayer. Our Father in heaven, glorified be your name. Your kingdom come, okay, and so forth. This is the prayer that is us acknowledging, God, you are our Father. May your way, the good holy order that you have for this world, may that be the way in our lives. And we trust you, God. We trust you to provide for us. We trust you to forgive us. We trust you to help us forgive others. And we trust that you're coming back in glory and power to renew all things. I pray this prayer every day because for me, and we learned this in the Old Testament, it's religious practices are a way of knowing. When I pray this, I'm using my mouth, my body, my posture to say to God, I am yours and I'm drawing near to you. Sometimes I pray it and because of what's going on, that's all I can manage, okay? Other times it's a launching pad for prayers that go on and on and on and on. But it's a vital practice because it's the daily drawing near to God and reaffirming that relationship from our angle. And you're reaffirming a whole way of life from that angle. So draw near to God, one helpful way, daily, the Lord's Prayer. And getting a little bit more creative, you know I'm a bit arty, so here we go. I like to think about what are some ways we can draw near to God that work with the five senses. Let's talk about seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, smelly. The first one, friends and candles, seeing. I, I dedicated a book to Lindsay Wilson and some other close friends of mine because it's in Lindsay that I can see God's qualities at work. I can see what it looks to be kind, wise, thoughtful, self-controlled, and especially patient with people like me. Okay? When we surround ourselves with Christ-like Christians, we see God's face. So if you want to see God, get to know Attila. Get to know Tom. Okay? Get to know Laura. Surround yourselves with good Christians. Small groups, prayer triplets, come to chapel, attend a local church. That's where you will see God reflected through his Christ-like images. Another great one is candles. As you guys know, at the beginning of classes, I often like to light candles because it symbolises that where two or three are present uh, in a place, Christ is present with us. It's a visual that God is here, that we have a union with God. Okay? Six bucks. No big deal. <laughs> Easy to do. In my home, we have lots of candles. We have fairy lights around the place. Just reminds us that this is a Christian space. Words of promise. Hearing the scriptures and great insights from great Christians is really important for us. Tim joked just before I got up today, oh, this is a great passage for an Augustinian, someone who really likes Augustine. 
Yes, it is. So make sure that you're hearing the Bible and that you're hearing great Christians reflect on it. Maybe it's in a podcast. I'm listening to a podcast that works through the Bible in easy little snippets. Touching. Well, I often have a a cross in my pocket. And whether it's good times, bad times, or mundane times, when I touch it, I'm reminded that God is with, with us, but also he's the kind of God that went to the cross for us. So that means that in any situation where I find myself, I am motivated by love, following the example of the cross. What a great remedy to the kind of problems that James talks about, where I'm jealous of you, but actually when I have the cross in my pocket and the reminder of Jesus' atoning death, well, that changes. I have to love you, whether you're my brother, whether you're my friend or whether you're my enemy. So it's transformative. Another practice to do with tasting, tasting is very intimate, is the Lord's Supper, of course. We take in the bread and the wine, reminding us that Jesus is within. Also, I like smelling aromas of life. With most candles, you can get scents. So I wonder what are some scents that remind you of God and his holiness. So I like peppermint. I like frankincense as scents. When I'm lamenting, you'll come to my house and there's lavender going. So you start to use different scents to associate different aspects of God as your caregiver who gives you stability. So these are ways that I draw near to God. They're very practical. They're not magical. Not too hard. Okay. And the big thing for each one of us is to develop these practices. You'll have your own, but I hope that they... Respond to your five senses and the whole of your life. And I hope that they're ones that you can do in the everyday. They're not spectacular. We're called to very mundane, non-spectacular life to God in the everyday. So I'd like to turn to friendship before I wrap up. I have chosen this picture. It's a very famous icon. It's called the icon of Minas. Because in the picture you have Jesus. You can always tell it's Jesus. He has a bigger halo and the cross. And he's got his arm around Minas, this 4th century saint. Okay? So that's the image. I hand this out in my mentoring groups. Jesus is our friend who walks with us. I want to unpack what that looks like a little bit. Our union with God is based on his uh, gaze on us, his spirit within, and that stabilises our union with God. Jesus' friendship with us is... Um, a spiritual, mental, and emotional union with a real human person. That means that as a friend, he is going to share his life with us. What does this look like? Well, for me, you'll notice that tomorrow I'll teach grace and eschatology, have lunch with everybody, and I'm gone. I'll be around the back of the zoo going for a walk. What do I do? I digest how the morning and the lunch went with Jesus. So I start praying, talking through what happened. And because I know Jesus and his teaching, especially the Sermon on the Mount, what's going to happen is he is going to share with me his emotional, mental and spiritual life. He's going to bring to my mind, 
because I'm united with him in the spirit, those verses from his special revelation of the Bible that are appropriate to my class. Here's an example. Early on in the semester, all lecturers face the temptation of having favourites. When you meet a random group of 26, immediately you're going to click with some people. You go on your walk, you're praying with Jesus through the class list, and he'll say from James, show no favouritism. Okay? Jesus will also share with all of us particular moments and struggles that we're having, and he will say, Scott, remember, be pure-hearted. He'll bring to mind to be humble, to be meek, to mourn over those things that are wrong in the world, to pursue righteousness, to be perseverant in that pursuit. So what I'm saying is drawing near to God goes together with Jesus as your friend who shares his emotional, mental, spiritual life with you. It's an organic union. And it's in this relationship then that we can draw near to God and be changed such that we are not friends of the world, but we're friends of God and friends with Jesus. Next slide, if we could. I want to um, leave you with a short exercise. If we think about the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, particularly on the, as we read about the Sermon on the Mount, it might be good for you this afternoon if you have some time, read through the Sermon on the Mount and then go for a walk with Jesus and see how he shares with you these scriptures as you apply them to your life. So that's drawing near to God and friendship with Jesus. God bless you.